Problem Gambling podcast is proudly sponsored by Gamban, the simple and effective way to block access to online gambling on all your devices. If willpower slips, Gamban doesn't. Go to gamban.com to find out more. If you would like to support this podcast, as well as our frontline treatment, prevention and helpline services, please consider donating €5 Euros per month using the link in the episode description. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Problem Gambling Podcast. I'm Barry Grant, an addiction counsellor with Extern Problem Gambling. And my co-host is Tony O'Reilly, also an addiction counsellor with the project and the co-author of Tony 10. And today's guest is the brilliant Minal Jane. I really hope I pronounced that right. I was practicing <laughs> before we record. Uh, Minal is a co-founder of the Recover Me app also a junior doctor. I mean, how do, how do you find the time? It's just amazing. Uh, and we've had, had the chance to play around with the Recover Me app. It was launched fairly recently. There's loads of cool stuff in there that I know myself and Tony would use, say, from a cognitive behavioral therapy treatment approach in our work in, in counseling and one-to-one work with clients. So, Minal, thanks so much for joining us today. How are things in your part of the world at the moment? You're a junior doctor. We we always, I think, find ourselves checking in with people around the, the COVID situation where they are um, because we're recording everything remotely since we started this podcast, actually, with everybody. So it's interesting to find out. What's this? Did you say you're in Leicestershire at the moment? How are things there COVID-wise at the moment? Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. And yes, I'm currently working in Leicestershire. It is, I think, like any other hospital, we're seeing things get a little bit busier. But thankfully, we are a little bit more prepared. So I think the general public are doing a great job by sort of following the regulations, staying at home where they can and being sensible. And that's all we can really ask for. So hopefully um, things get better in 2021. Um you know, we we see a change and things go back to some sort of normality, really. Yeah, I hope so. I know myself and Tony would love to just get on a plane and go and <laughs> watch our beloved Man United or Liverpool or pretty much anybody <laughs> at this stage <laughs> get out of Ireland and start going back to the UK and lots of other parts of the world. So hopefully if we all do the right thing, we can get through this in 2021 will be better. Anyway, we didn't what, want to talk too much about COVID today, but just wanted to check in. Tell us about the Recover Me app. I mean, you're a junior doctor. What inspired you and your co-founders of the app to, to develop it? Yeah, so I think Recover Me was something that we started about two and a half years ago. Um, it came off the back of an experience that I had in general practice. So we saw a patient that had presented to his GP with, low mood, um, his relationship had broken down, he was struggling to hold down a job, and he had a huge amount of financial debt. And the really nice thing about being a medical student is that they give you time to really um, understand a patient um, as compared to what the five, 10 minutes that you might have in a really busy GP surgery. So um, yeah, it was a really nice conversation. I was able to sort of build a rapport and really understand the journey. Um, that the patient has actually had so I'm going to call him James just you know for confidentiality reasons so so it was a gentleman that I met James he had sort of presented to his GP and he spoke about his journey he had had difficulties with his relationship struggling to hold down a job and he just started gambling at university so that was a couple of pounds on the local football team and that had sort of spiraled out of control so what had originally been a social activity had then become quite a destructive addiction and we were seeing the um the latter part of it where he was actually contemplating taking his own life and that's a really difficult conversation for anyone to have but for a medical student actually then being in a position where we're unsure of exactly what we should be providing in terms of support for um, gambling addiction specifically was a conversation that me and my colleagues Tejas and Adil had so we really put our heads together and looked to see whether there was anything out there really to to support and there are a number of great organizations um within throughout the sort of UK and Ireland everywhere um but what we didn't see at the time was the incorporation of digital technology and I think coming from the generation that we do where technology is pretty much embedded in our lives we decided to explore that a little further and Tejas and I had actually um 
published some research in mobile health technology in the addiction space. And we really saw the sort of value and the benefit of that. So we decided, why not try, try it in the gambling space? I mean, a lot of people have access to gambling through their phones, through their laptops. So why not bring treatment tools uh, and management tools to their phones? So it started off as somewhat a little side project um, and then it's evolved to what it is now. So yeah, it's been quite an exciting journey. So that's, yeah, that's, I mean, in two and a half years, that's a lot of work to get done to get to this point. And I suppose, okay, uh, my understanding of medical training would be very, very limited. All right. So let just uh, <laughs> ignore or, or forgive me the stupid questions. Don't ignore them because then <laughs> it's going to go very quiet here. But forgive me the stupid questions. So let's say you're doing your, you're, uh, you're doing, you're going through your process of learning as a, as a trainee mm -hmm. doctor and this person presents and you get a bit of time with them. I mean, up to that point, would have you would you have done part of your training around psychology, counseling, psychotherapy, any kind of talk therapies, cognitive behavioral therapy, or were you kind of starting out with a blank slate at that point? Um, so that's really interesting, actually, because when it comes to um, psychiatry, psychology, um, we do get a lot of training in terms of uh, the, the big conditions, the, the ones that are most prevalent. But when it comes to sort of behavioral addictions, that's not something that's very much touched upon. Um, and then when it comes to the treatment side of things, we've become aware of things like CBT, DBT, um, the the number of other sort of talking therapies that exist and sort of where they originated from, but we never really get trained up in to be able to actually deliver them. So what we found ourselves doing was going back to literature, trying to understand how this is delivered sort of face to face, and then try and incorporate that within a digital tool. But as you can imagine, we're not experts. We're <laughs> you know, far from it, actually. We're, we're just medical students. So at the time, we thought it was best to consult literature, but also go to people who know what they're doing. So psychologists, psychiatrists and actually have them look through our content provide feedback on it and and that's what we really did well we, we went to the experts so the psychologists and the psychiatrists really um, provided us with the um, input and the guidance that we needed really to to produce what we have within the app so do you think you've learned a lot yourself as part of this process oh definitely I, I think what it's really um, reinforced to me is that patient care can be delivered in a variety of different ways and it's really important actually to to take uh, the input from other people within sort of the multidisciplinary team so you know you can see yourself being just a doctor but that's not the case you know you've got psychologists you've got uh, support workers you've got people from all different um sort of walks of life different backgrounds different expertise and it's really important to take that on board going forward um so from a sort of personal point of view that's what i've learned and then in terms of the app um the journey has been <laughs> crazy it's been up and down um and just highlighting sort of the ability to be able to create something like this um has been great and just you know speaking to people like yourselves along the way it's always such an enjoyable experience that yeah it's been great so much like ourselves, I mean, it's funny, uh, I've, myself and Tony would sometimes deliver training to other kind of helping professionals in Ireland. So it could be counselors, psychotherapists, mm -hmm. nurses, psychiatric nurses, other people, frontline workers, addiction workers. And you ask the room what training they've had in behavioral addictions right? and psh, tumbleweed, silence. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I mean, I, I certainly I, my degree was four years the word gambling wasn't mentioned once so similar to yourself I was kind of learning on the job um which is unfortunate when you're dealing with live human beings <laughs> in crisis in front of you but I suppose that was the the reality of it I, I knew enough about other addictions to be able to transfer uh, some elements over but there are some elements with gambling that are that are just totally different to say substance uh, misuse addictions um, and I think, Tony, your experience would have been quite similar, but you have the lived experience of having gone through recovery of a, of a gambling addiction. But that thing of, I mean, there's two really good documentaries out on Netflix at the moment. One is The Social Dilemma and the other one is, oh, God, it'll come back to me, Scream something. Anyway, both looking at the, very similarly at this kind of behavioristic uh, kind of B.F. Skinner approach to how social media works how gaming works a lot of what those 
both of those gaming and social media learned a lot from basic things like slot machines, which have been around for a long time. And we're, I think we're going to only inevitably see more and more behavioral addictions. Like if you look at the research from Ireland, certainly, I think it's the same in the UK, fewer and fewer children are starting alcohol and drugs and they're doing it later and more and more minors are starting with gambling and gaming and other kind of things to which a person could become behaviorally addicted so it's kind of a wide open space and it's only ever going to be a growth area because we have this super addictive smartphone thing in our hands 24 hours a day so it's a great i mean i think it's you know, to put the treatment in the thing that is inherently addictive in the first place, which is the smartphone, is a great idea because barriers to treatment are a massive issue. And we know that the barrier to to gambling is basically the two seconds between you having the thought and then clicking your smartphone screen once or twice. Right. Mm -hmm. So we need the barriers to treatment to be as brief as that <laughs> ideally was that kind of your part of your thinking when you were developing yes it's interesting that you mentioned all those things actually because the first that you touched on the research definitely suggests that the younger population is becoming sort of more involved with these activities which i guess means that we have to be trying to do more to to protect them in some ways because they are vulnerable um so it's yeah definitely important to highlight that i think and with with that, I think younger people are getting access to smartphones sooner. I mean, I didn't have my smart smartphone until, you know, <laughs> until I was pretty old. Um, and nowadays, that's just not not the way it is, which is, is okay. But then we've got to be putting those um, barriers in place to, to protect these individuals. And then the other side that you mentioned in terms of our thinking behind bringing the tools to the phone, very much so. I think what we found to be one of the biggest barriers to treatment was the accessibility side of things. Um, and like I said, a great number of organizations that exist that can provide um, support, but a lot of that was face-to-face. -face, and with that, you've got things like um, the ge geographical from a geographical standpoint you know getting to the place which can be a barrier because that takes time that takes money um and then obviously the the other thing was the um the fact that if, if it's on a smartphone we can actually provide discreet help um and we found the stigma of the addiction to be so high higher than we'd ever imagined actually um, and that only came through actually speaking to people with lived experience that the fact that they were suffering from this gambling addiction was was something that they might have accepted but they couldn't share it with anyone and that's a really difficult place for, for anyone to be at not having that having to keep that a secret so for us we were trying to and that's where the recover me sort of logo name comes from because we've tried to not attribute it to betting and gambling so if someone has it on their phone they don't need to worry about you know someone looking over and being like oh you know what's that is that is that gambling is that if, if there is any association and that was some feedback that we actually got so yeah i think like you said barriers to treatment are something that we have to try our hardest to eliminate might not be fully successful but we can we can try so that's what we've we've gone for with recover me yeah and i think you know that thing the geographical aspect of it i suppose one of the things that we've seen since the lockdown in ireland which was in march was actually at the time we were kind of traveling both tony and i live in waterford which is in the southeast of the country and we were traveling up and down yeah a few days a week each to the capital city to dublin because oh, wow. you know, most, most clients were there to do face-to-face -face sessions and that was slowly killing us right? <laughs> when i look back in an hour just gone god that was there's just so much commuting going on it was crazy oh, yeah. um and then when we went into lockdown i was like well look we have to switch everything to remote working which exactly. it has been since march and now we're, we, we can expand the geographical reach straight off the bat you know so people who you know we couldn't have ever worked with before who would have been reluctant to work with us before because they would have preferred physical face-to-face -face, are now gone yeah let's do a zoom call let's do a phone call let's do a whatsapp video call whatever works for them it's like yeah great bang and there you're back to the accessibility of this thing that most of us have in our hands 24 hours a day just to make it as, as simple and accessible as possible 
Yeah, and the stigma, I mean, you spoke about it there. I mean, this is one of the, the major issues with getting anybody to seek help. Um, like even like, cause I, I was doing as a nonprofit, you can get free ads from Google for your website, right? And our website is problemgambling.ie. Uh, and even as I was putting up the ads, you know, just for the, the treatment service and the harm prevention talks and stuff like that straight away, I'm thinking, okay, I'm somebody who wants to click on this link. I see this ad and I'm looking for treatment or looking for information. But now I'm going to have problem <laughs> in my browser history. Now, most people are pretty adept at cleaning, rinsing their browser history. But even just the stigma around that, do you want to do it on your work phone? Do you want to do that on your work computer? Mm-hmm. So even just bringing it back to the language, the names that we put on things, that we put on apps, that we put on websites to try and find some balance between people's natural resistance to, I suppose, uh, people, other people knowing about their, their gambling problem or their gambling addiction, and then trying to find some balance where we're encouraging people to come out and actually talk about it. Right? So it's not completely hidden all the time. Tony, any thoughts on that one on the stigma side of it and the, the kind of benefits of an app? Um, yeah, I very much found that at the start. Um, it was the one thing that stopped me from seeking help until it got to that rock bottom place was the kind of the shame and stigma and taboo around gambling and i suppose while you're talking about it even when i i ended up in prison from from my gambling addiction and even when i was seen by the prison doctor when i when i went in and explained now this take this is going back nine years ago so there's been a lot of um kind of information since but it was like i was it was alien to him it was like kind of as if he was was very dismissive of it like i was saying i was struggling mental health wise i was you know you know the fact that i i felt that in prison i wasn't going to be able to access the supports that would have worked for me before i went in like ga meetings or kind of um group work meetings and stuff like that and it was very much like i felt i was like i was being looked down on even like i take the i had taken ownership of my recovery even at that stage i'd already gone to treatment for three months i'd attended ga meetings and counseling for probably I'd say about a year before the prison sentence. So I was in good recovery, but yet I felt it was it was really like looked down upon. And even within the prison service, there was no the closed prison, there was no meetings. So again, there was that huge stigma still there with it. It wasn't that there was there was GA meet or sorry, AA and and kind of um NA meetings in the prison, but only one GA meeting every couple of weeks. So it wasn't given the same t- sort of level of, of kind of importance by the prison service. And also I found that I don't know what your experience of it and maybe has changed um, when I presented for support immediately after my news broke, I kind of, I, I felt that no one really understood it. And it was great to hear when you were saying that, you know, as a junior doctor or trainee, you were able to take that time because I felt I was probably educating the doctors about what was going on for me. And they were kind of going like, again, it's kind of when there's no substance um people were kind of the doctors or people who were trying to when i was trying to explain to them i did find that there was a, a kind of um it was like i was looking at blank faces um now I'm, I'm, i know that's that's nearly nine years ago or over nine years ago so i'm sure a lot has changed um but do you still find that today that there is still that lack of understanding amongst your peers i would say to some degree yes um it's difficult to say why that is exactly, but I think some of it comes down to what we sort of are exposed to, what we learn about, and the importance that's put on this addiction. And I don't think it's it's stressed enough. Um, coming from a university culture as well, for, for us, we thought, you know, we get talks about alcohol, like you mentioned in the prison service, you have support for that. We get talks about drugs, safe sex, those things are talked about at freshers fairs, like straight when you get to university, even throughout with your like pastoral care um, and that sort of thing. No one really highlights things like gambling addiction and the other behavioral addictions. And I think just in general that that needs to change. So within a healthcare setting, within universities, um, just so the, and within a the general public as well. And I think you're right, things have changed to, to some degree. We have the national clinics now through the NHS. We've got the primary gambling service, um, which is another organisation that's been recently set up as well for like GPs and things. So I think there is a big movement to address that. Um, so I think it's heading in the right direction. But I still think at present there is a bit of a lack. 
for sure. Um, but we're hoping, you know, with with the the massive movement um, that we're feeling at the moment. I'm not sure if you guys feel the same way. There's a lot of talk about um, gambling addiction, and um, it's in the media. It's um, it's everywhere <laughs> compared to what it was th- two years ago, even. Um, so that's really good to see because I think that will just become. Um, hopefully a bit stronger and that will allow the general public to learn more and it will put pressure on other organizations and other sectors to really pick up on that momentum and understand it better so hopefully there's change around the corner yeah there is a lot in the uk a lot of talk around the the addiction i know that there's lots of reports going on at the moment and they're looking at updating 2005 act but again i'm sure barry will agree with me we could have a rant about this for the rest of the afternoon but like there's <laughs> We're so far behind even that over here, yeah. you know, like we're, we're trying to get kind of um, get the word out there, get awareness out there, talk to schools and colleges. But we're met with the lack of funding by the government, the lack of funding for this hugely important um, topic to be discussed. I know that in the colleges within Ireland, Barry has had contact and I have a contact um, and a friend of mine would be um a financial work in the financial area of the colleges and she said that's a huge problem coming through people getting financial difficulties because of gambling but yet it's not talked about yet it's kind of this isn't a problem and or it's not seen as a huge problem it's like everything else is looked at beforehand and even in my own kind of um my own story like everyone looked at every other possibility he must have been having um kind of work troubles or marriage troubles or um, relationship troubles or it was everything bar what it actually was because it's the last pe- place people looked at I thought it could be an issue now I know that is changing but I'm sure Barry will come in on this like we are just so so far behind it actually you know even this morning kind of doing bits and pieces catching up over the weekend the calls and the emails you just feel like banging your head against the wall from the lack of movement um, from especially over here in Ireland and I look over across the water and in envy of what's going on and and the kind of supports that are there you're looking at NHS clinics there's three or two or three of them there's one and I know there's one in Leeds and one in London and, and probably more to open I think they're open up up to 14 yeah. of them and then you have um you know one nearly specifically for gaming or for young for young children and like I have uh, for half seven on a Friday evening I've uh a concerned parent on about his 17 year old son about his gaming addiction and i kind of going like we have absolutely i didn't even know i have to do a bit of research of what support i could give him on it um in regards to practical supports even because we just are so far barry in another interview during the week so we're just so far behind the curve and it's just so so frustrating so i think the more chats we do have, the more conversations that are open so that, like, as you said, people from all areas of life and all backgrounds are, are looking at this as a huge problem or as a growing problem. I mean, as you said, we have behavioral addictions, we have gaming coming online, we have social media addiction, we have, um, you know, Facebook addiction. Everything is coming down the line after this. So gambling is the is the one that's kind of at the forefront because it's the one in the DSM-5, but there's so many more coming right behind it. So it is, it's frightening. Yeah, and just briefly on that, I mean, just just back on the stigma thing for a second because I was I know I've been following you guys online, Minal, and I think didn't isn't there some sponsorship deal with Southampton Football Club that I see? I was watching a match and I saw it coming up in the hoardings, which was a really pleasant change from looking at. I won't name all the gambling advertisers that normally come up on the hoardings, but it's nice to have something other than that where. You know, somebody might look at that and go, "Okay, what's that about?" And you know, or to see something that's about recovery from a gambling problem associated with a healthy pursuit like football, as opposed to let's just have loads of gambling <laughs> associated with healthy pursuits like football. Um, but anyway, back to the app just for a second, because I mean, I'm looking at the app here, playing around with it earlier today. I had, a, I had the privilege of kind of looking at a, an earlier version before you guys launched. So I, was, I was chatting to Tejas, I think at the time, uh, and it looked great then. And I, I'm a bit of a, a tech nerd. So I really like the, the way it looks and feels and the design and the functionality of it, apart from the actual <laughs> psychological behavioral change bit, which is the important bit, but I, I kind of <laughs> love the look of it as well. 
I mean, if I'm okay, if I'm looking at the app and the app is available for say iOS and Android and all that, is it only for smartphones and tablets, or can a person use it on? It's just smartphones, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so looking at the app, uh, which I strongly suggest people to check out, uh, we have a code for I think a free week's trial, which I will have in the description of this episode. So if you want to check that out, even if you don't want to use the free trial, it's cheap as chips. You can pay monthly or you can pay an annual subscription. It is a tiny, tiny fraction of what the people we work with will be losing on a daily or a weekly or a monthly or an annual basis through gambling. All right. So again, sometimes people get caught up in the small picture and they're thinking, you know, well, do I want to spend... 60 euros on a counseling session or 10,000 euros on residential treatment or five euros a month on an app or whatever it is. It's important if you're listening to this to think about the big picture. <laughs> big picture is to try and stop gambling, turn your life around, improve your mental health, improve your relationships. And obviously it has a hugely beneficial financial impact. Okay, so check out the app, even if it's just a free trial. I'm looking at the home page. Got five main sections there, and I'll get you to talk about them more in a minute. You know, uh, there's a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy section, there's the diary section, there's SOS, uh, there's mindfulness, and there's support. And then over on the kind of dashboard, the kind of personal dashboard, you've got your progress. So you can see all the different sessions that you've gone through in the different sections, which is cool. You have your rewards, and you might tell us a bit, about, bit more about that in a minute got your motivational picture which again is something that people i've been working with people for years people have brought that up sometimes they'd have it in their wallet or in their phone as a reminder this is why i'm not gambling quite often it could be for a child or for f some family member or loved one okay so that's me just kind of newbie looking at it uh, kind of day one minute one it looks really cool to me i'm a bit of a tech nerd anyway and the design looks great it's very straightforward. If I go into the CBT section, uh, you've got understanding you, consequences of gambling, managing your urges, tackling your beliefs, which are incredibly important in gambling addiction, and then preventing relapses, which is the name of the game with any addiction, right? So do you want to maybe talk us through the CBT part first and what... Uh, kind of guided you to select those particular aspects of CBT for working with people with gambling issues? Yes, of course. Well, thank you so much for that quick plug. <laughs> um, you summarized it yeah, perfectly. Just touching on something you mentioned earlier about the Southampton um, Football Club. That was, uh, that was a really exciting sort of opportunity for us. And I think that was a demonstration of how, when we were speaking about it earlier, other organizations really considering the severity of the addiction. Um, and working with Southampton, we saw that there was a real drive to, to address the fact that, yes, you know, betting and gambling happens and it happen socially but we we also acknowledge that there are individuals that may be suffering with an addiction and that also goes to say and this is something that we found as well when we were first getting into into this field we started to notice a lot of people put the blame on the individual quite a lot um and i don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do at all really um we found that the onus was always on the individual rather than everything else that goes around um, goes around it and also the fact that this is a pathological condition um, and there is a component of silent science that is you know th that you can't really deny there's research studies to show to show that that it, it works as other addictions may do as well there's imaging studies all sorts really so it's good that we're increasing awareness but also i think it's important to increase increase awareness in the right way so we shouldn't be blaming the individual we should be looking at ourselves our society and how it functions um so yeah and then going back to the app <laughs> sorry slight diversion um, <laughs> that's crazy yeah. uh, with the app you can actually access it for free for the first month so we've got it um going like that but also we're looking to partner with organizations so individuals can actually have the app for free for a year and um, that's a work in progress we managed to secure um that with Southampton for a limited number of people. So if there are any listeners that are interested and want to reach out to us, please do. We're really keen to, to get you on our platform to, to help you um, on your journey, really. Um, 
And then when it comes to the actual app, the CBT side of things, so this is really interesting because it goes back to my original point. So we tended to look at literature and then we decided that that wasn't quite enough because we didn't have the right perspective or the full perspective. So for us, it's really important to be quite user centric. So we decided after we released our version one, which looks very different to what it does now, that we developed like an advisory panel up in the north. So we had a number of individuals that had either previously suffered from an addiction or were suffering from an addiction at the time and were really keen to get involved with the project. So they actually went through our content and said, look, we like this, we don't like this, um, these words are trigger words, you know, this makes sense, this doesn't. Um, but what was really insightful actually, um, and this is something that we learned through this process, was that we didn't understand the the link fully at the time of emotions and gambling we sort of saw the financial side of things with gambling but we never really looked into the the fact that the emotional state of an individual can have so much influence and what we then began to understand was sometimes it's not just the negative emotions someone might be feeling that pushes them to gamble but sometimes it's the positive ones as well um, and that's why we actually are incorporating a session six that you'll shortly see on the app um, that we're working on. And that looks specifically at sort of personal development, uh, growth, and also specifically emotions and the management of it. And that's our sort of take on how we feel that could benefit with the whole um, process of recovery. Um, the sessions were sort of broken down in a way that we wanted to establish the severity and the um well we wanted to understand the individual better essentially initially we then wanted to look at gambling addiction look at the science the history behind it then we wanted to sort of tackle things like um their beliefs like you mentioned um but at the same time look at how we can provide strategies to help with the acute phase of the addiction so the urges and then later on we we looked to the lapses and the, the process was very much an iteration process and it was the, the content and the, the way in which it was structured was very much based on the people that we spoke to with the lived experience. And that was very, very helpful. Yeah, so I mean, am I right in thinking that you kind of got some maybe out of the box CBT type approaches and then road tested them with your feedback group would that be correct yeah so or kind of so, yeah in terms of getting feedback from live users uh even things like you're talking about they're looking at the language i think was the app originally called bet on me was that yeah so i mean even stuff like that where yeah quite often like if you put a group of people in a room and you say let's develop an app to help people with it'll end up with something with with some gambling related name and the logo will have a roulette wheel in it and like it makes perfect sense at the time and then you talk to people who are in recovery and you go god no please don't call it that <laughs> so that was good <laughs> that was good um so i mean you you kind of zoom zo zoomed in on specific and i would agree that they're sort of the most important areas of uh, behavioral change and cognitive change in terms of changing your thinking around gambling. We would use uh, a lot of these, uh, like focusing on the consequences, you know, the positive and negatives, you know, the positives and negatives of continuing gambling versus stopping gambling and so on. And even sometimes just do, spending a session doing that with a person where Obviously, it's important to acknowledge what the positive things were about gambling in your life, even if it was a horribly self-destructive experience. Somewhere along the line, you must have been getting something positive out of it or else you would never do it. I mean, we're we're kind of reward seeking creatures at the end of the day. You have to be getting some positive experience out of it. So to identify what the positives were, because they need to be replaced in a healthier way and also looking at, OK, if I continue gambling or if i relapse what are the downsides of that gonna be and to be really honest and really realistic about that you know am i gonna lose my relationship am i gonna end up having to move out of the family home will i only see my kids at the weekend all of these things are for a lot of people real 
potential consequences of continuing to gamble or or relapsing back into gambling. Um, so I mean that CBT section is excellent. Excellent. We would use a lot of those tools, and you've got audio recordings. You've got forms that people can fill in. Lots of kind of different multimedia type approaches. I mean, who? does the techie side of it for you or how did you manage to kind of come up with that workflow of of kind of user friendliness because it is quite user friendly i think um so we're quite fortunate actually in terms of um our friends so we actually had our um one of our closest friends is a graphic designer um and she was able to sort of sit down with us look at our vision so we mapped out what version one looked like we drew 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 out the plans we did the sort of user journey we wrote it all down um and that was created and then she sort of looked at that and said you know what what things can we change what can we um better essentially but then also in terms of the input we had the lived experience so we had people actually using buttons and saying look that button's way too small um all that color is a bit too bland i mean our original app was i think one color <laughs> um so it's pretty boring and um, not that engaging so we had the benefit of bringing in loads of different perspectives to say okay this works this doesn't and then the actual tech was outsourced um by a company called b60 they're an incredible team and again we were able to sort of sit down with them show them what our you know vision was what our designs were and they were able to produce produce it for us really and then whenever we hit a stumbling block you know we were able to go back to the drawing board iterate and create version two but i guess you know there's still change and that's why we're really keen to, to get loads of people onto our platform because we know we can do even better um and that's our aim really just to make it as engaging and user-friendly as possible yeah, and I think like the, between everyone involved, you've done a fantastic job on it. Um, I mean, in terms of the the diary, then again, this would be similar to some of the tracking tools that we would use with some clients in terms of you know how strong your urges to get today. Did I gamble today? And then being able to link that to a feeling, so you can select your mood, and it's got little smiley faces emoticons and stuff which is cool um and then you, you end up with a calendar which is a great way of tracking that and going well because quite often what what happens to tony i'm sure you'd agree with this as well that the relapse happens long before somebody actually places a bet or gambles it's happening in your head you're breaking out of your good behaviors you're lapsing back into old behaviors negative behaviors uh, negative ways of thinking or unhelpful ways of thinking long before the actual bet happens usually for most people so if you can track that in a way that's visual and you can see i hang on my mood's dropping here i've had a lot of angry sad frustrated days in a row what am i doing differently what do i need to do differently there's a lot of benefit in that or tony what do you think definitely like um a client that i was working with before he what he used to do was he'd have a year planner and he'd put in um on these days he didn't gamble he'd have a we'll say yellow highlighter and then if he did have the odd relapse or the odd bad day he might or if he had the bad day he might put a blood or a lot of compulsions he put a little black tick on it and then he did that he did um he did have a couple of, of lapses throughout the year so he'd have them marked in in pink so every time he opened up his wardrobe door his kitchen door wherever, wherever it was on he had that visual um positive reinforcement that yeah i did have a couple of bad days but i've the majority of my um year has been very good so that can really motivate when you are in recovery and motivate you to keep going and not focus back on the negativity which can happen in in um in relapse you look back at the negativity and that drives more negative behavior and i've mentioned i asked him could i use his analogy and he said yeah no problem thankfully and I have used it. I've used it um, loads of times with people in in sessions, and everyone that I've mentioned has said it's a brilliant idea. So what you've done is very similar um, to that. So I think I think it is a very powerful tool to say, yeah, well, it's we do have bad days, um, but the majority of them have been good, and I think that's a very important part of the recovery process. Yeah, and no, I really like that. And again, that's straightforward enough, but it's a really useful reinforcement tool you know i'm doing the right things i'm seeing progress you know 
And so, of course, I will. More, I'm more likely to continue doing the right things because I'm seeing, you know, I can actually see with my eyes, see that I'm making progress rather than it just being an idea or a feeling, you know. Um, then you've got the SOS section, which is great. Now, I suppose <clears throat> a lot of our listeners are in Ireland nationally, naturally enough, but I think about a quarter maybe are in the UK and then other parts of the world as well. Um, so I suppose in the SOS section, it has a link to the National Gambling Helpline, which is obviously that the UK helpline. Oh, I nearly rang it there. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, your section is about what to do if you have an urge, which is great. There's some really cool stuff in here, a kind of a motion, motivational booster. You've got a SWAT uh, acronym for swatting the urge uh, section on urge surfing, which comes up again in the mindfulness section and then distracting activities which again would be really important tony and i would look at this as as well as part of the access time and money model i think gamcare would use it as well so that it, fill in your time <laughs> with engaging activities when you're in recovery is unbelievably important so what to do if you have an urge what to do if you have lapsed and there's some really kind of positive language around that as well there's even a functional analysis tool. We're getting back to real proper old school CBT here to functional analysis, but basically identifying your triggers, which is great. And that's there's real value in that. Looking at the consequences of gambling, call a friend. There's a cool section called Lapser. Do you want to tell us about the Lapser section? Yeah, you know, so the SOS tab was um, sort of our unique take on it and um, we wanted to add something from our perspective and, and what we found like you mentioned is that a lot of people use different tools especially in that sort of acute phase so that's why we sort of jam-packed that tab with a number of different options and this what the urge and the laps are uh, are sort of our take so they're mnemonics that each stand for a particular letter um sorry a particular word <laughs> sorry you monkey um and the individual essentially what we try and encourage is that they go through it as a logical sequence of steps and so hopefully in that acute phase what they're then able to do is to internalize that um logical sequence of steps so they feel less overwhelmed so instead of making you know 10 million decisions at one time they know that they can just go back to this reflect on this go through it and at that point they can then make a decision at the end of it. So what we're trying to do is provide them with a strategy, just something different, uh, so that they can buy themselves a little bit more time instead of acting impulsively. Um, and that's the sort of feedback that we got. So we found that those people, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Tony, but people who are in that sort of headspace find that their emotions can be quite overwhelming and in in that process end up you know, gambling or not gambling, but um, more so gambling because they're not sure, you know, what they, what else they can do. So, it's what the urgent laps are our take on it, and um, hopefully, um, it will be interesting to see, you know, how people find it and how useful it is, really. And have you gotten feedback, say, from your test group around those particular aspects of the the, the app? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And they they loved it. They they thought it was different. It was unique, and it was quite beneficial for them. So that's why we decided to include it um within the app. But we understand it might not be a tool that everyone uses, but it's there. So yeah, yeah. And look like that. I think Tony would say the same. That you know, you try a lot of different things with different people, and it's it's amazing what resonates with some people and doesn't resonate with other people at all. And but usually, if you throw the kitchen sink at people, something is going to stick, right? Which would be my philosophy of it is just keep throwing things at people until you find the thing that resonates with them. And I suppose having lots of different op options in here is is a ver a version of that. Um, and obviously, there's kind of a phone a friend, which is an important one as well. Like if you're struggling, if you're having urges, if you have lapsed, again, important. To remind people not to let a lapse turn into a relapse is a big difference. A person can have a slip, an individual occasion of gambling without allowing it to turn into a full-blown relapse. And there's a mindfulness section in here, which is great. So, I mean, a lot of people that, Tony, I'm sure you see this as well, 
uh, a lot of people that I'd be working with would use uh, meditation apps like Headspace, say, for example, because for a lot of people, it's about it really, it's about emotional regulation. And you take away the thing that the person is using to emotionally regulate with, or, you know, they're caught in this vicious circle where they started out stressed, they ended up playing online slots to reduce stress. It briefly reduced the stress, but of course, created more stress in their lives. So of course, now they're more stressed out and they're using online slots more and they're just in the vicious circle going round and round. But then you take away the online slots. Naturally, their person is going to experience withdrawals and they're also going to have normal stresses in their lives. And they also may have gambling related debt and relationship issues as a result of their gambling, all the normal stuff. So having some sort of mindfulness approach where a person can learn how to emotionally regulate, deeply relax, observe their thoughts without getting overwhelmed by them or caught up in them or triggered by them, I think is really beneficial. And I suppose that's where uh, I think one of the aspects of the app that I really like. Um, what was, say, the research part that brought you to putting mindfulness into the app? So we actually did some research at the time because, so from a personal standpoint, I mean, I have Headspace and Calm actually both on my app um, and I found them incredibly useful. Um, they're techniques that I pre-COVID actually wasn't really engaging with, but I found them personally to be very beneficial. So um, I can see real value in it. But before, you know, when we were actually creating the app, we did a lot of research at the time because mindfulness had become quite a common practice. It was quite talked about. Um, and the research actually said that CBT, when combined with mindfulness, can actually achieve um, stronger positive uh, behavior change. So we thought, you know, wh why not? why not try and develop these sessions? So we had a go at it, but realized that we're probably <laughs> not the best. So we got a mindfulness expert to look at our CBT program and then to try and align the, um, the sessions, the mindfulness sessions closely to our CBT or as closely as possible. Um, and we, you know, we have about 10, um, each work in a similar sort of way. And we try and encourage, like you actually mentioned, the emotional regulation so we don't want individuals to feel overwhelmed and we want them to have that moment where they can focus on the present and the past consequences or what might happen in the future is less sort of daunting um so yeah so the research really was our, our driving force it, it showed us that it could be very beneficial so we decided to sort of spend some more time and, and research to to try and incorporate it and better mirror our CBT with it. So, yeah. Yeah, and of course, there is a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy approach, which is making kind of good inroads as well. And I suppose that might be one of the things that's kind of missing from traditional cognitive behavioral therapy in that it's very much up in the prefrontal cortex where very few of our decisions are ever made. <laughs> our decisions are made usually in the limbic system long before the prefrontal cortex has had the chance to get his boots on. So, you know, if we can do anything that can kind of calm down uh, the limbic system, say through mindfulness meditation, then that helps us to think more clearly, which means that you can actually use the cognitive restructuring stuff from CBT better. So I think there's definitely a lot of value in having the two of those go hand in hand, because if you're highly stressed, very overwhelmed, you can't think clearly. Uh, and then trying to do cognitive restructuring with somebody who's in that state is not really going to work particularly well. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's great to see that in there. And it's great to see the combination of the two, because I've seen mindfulness approaches, say, saying group therapy for people uh, in recovery from gambling problems. And I've seen cognitive behavioral therapy approaches, but I haven't seen much of the two used hand in hand, which I think is probably the best way to approach it. Um, and in terms of the support, then obviously there's a section there where people can contact support organizations, um, loads of different ones in terms of, but which is great to see because people tend to think about gambling just having a negative impact on your finances. That's usually gambling. Money is the least valuable thing you can gamble with is the thing that I would often say. So, I mean, you have support information there for relationship advice, mental health, homelessness, which can come up, obviously financial and then different community centers. Um, and you'd have things like Gamban, Gam 
block gam stop which isn't available in ireland sorry irish <laughs> listeners we don't have a multi-operator self-exclusion scheme of any kind in ireland because we don't have a regulator here but anyway don't get us started on that one and so loads and loads and loads of really useful uh helpful information in there as well like i am really really impressed by it excuse me <clears throat> um and i know from like say like that talking to a lot of clients who use their phone in so many different ways as a tool obviously you know people have used it many or most of the people that we work with would have used it as a gambling tool in the past so i mean to have something in there where, that you can use constructively that if you're having urges there's a section you can go into there if you you know feeling overwhelmed then you could do one of the mindfulness meditations to dial things down a bit it's got a lot of stuff going on there that's going to be helpful to somebody in recovery definitely especially in the early stages which is the the, the most difficult part usually for most people what would you kind of say to the listener uh if you're giving them your wonderful sales pitch on the recover me app so that's a tough one um i guess from our perspective i guess recover me we've always wanted to provide an accessible discreet solution to an individual's phone um we hope that we've created something that you know, is able to offer some benefit, um, if not change your life, <laughs> if possible. Um, but, you know, we, we really want to get you onto our platform. So please, you know, get in contact with us. We're more than happy to provide you with an annual code. Um, I said that wrong. <laughs> to provide you with an annual code. Oh, my God. I'm struggling. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're happy to help where we can. And we understand that individuals have a number of financial stresses. stresses. So we don't want that to be the limiting factor. Um, we're really passionate about, you know, incorporating innovative technology um, into healthcare. And um, that's our main goal, really. So, you know, if you see value, get in touch. And, yeah, hope we can help. Yeah, no, look, I think anybody listening, try it out. Just stick it on your phone, check it out, take it for a test drive, because uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. And I suppose one of the things that I know, because I would manage our website for whatever the last five years, I would have set it up originally. So I can see a lot of stuff going on in the back end, the search terms that people would use to arrive at the website and the numbers mm. of people who would access the website looking for information versus the numbers of people who would ever pick up the phone or send us an email or contact us in any way. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people who will actually get in contact. And yet lots of people will look for information. They'll look for information. Like the the, the busiest page on our website is not the home page. It's the page for apps, right? It's the apps page where we have information on apps like Gamban on your app, gambling therapy app because people don't want to deal with another human being in a lot of cases, right? So they want an app that's going to help them in recovery, right? That is clear, I suppose, from the data that I can see from the back end of our website, the sort of search terms that people are using and the pages that they're going to, right? So that's definitely a thing, right? So we need to get as much help to those people as possible because some of those people, many of those people may never reach out for a human-to-human -human intervention, as in a phone call, even an email, go for face-to-face -face counseling, group therapy, Gamblers Anonymous, residential treatment. You know, we know the statistics, only one to 5% of people who need treatment ever get treatment, right? So if there's another thing and you're shy or you don't want to, you know, kind of go down the route of all the traditional ways of doing it, this is definitely worth checking out. Right. And I'm not kind of trying to shill for I'm not, you know, shilling for big recover me who've uh, bought out our, 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 <laughs> our podcast or whatever. I just think that there's definitely a, a huge beneficial and therapeutic value for interventions like this. And there's it's only ever going to be a growth area. So if you're listening, if you haven't tried it out, check it out, take it for a test drive and see how you go. Um, but definitely, I know. Uh, from our experience that a lot of the people that we never interact with and I suppose the other thing is that we know have data on people who might go to their GP presenting with a gambling problem or go to a residential treatment center or go for addiction counseling services and on and on and on. 
we don't have all we don't have data on all the people who stop gambling in different ways so they read a book maybe like tony's some other book they say i've had enough of this now. <laughs> no more of this and they stop gambling and they never interact with any service that so has no data on them and the reality is there's probably more of those people than there are people who ever interact with services right yeah. So let's try to help those people as much as humanly possible in as many different ways as possible. If it's the podcast, if it's apps, whatever it is, websites, so that the people are getting the most useful information as possible. Sorry for that long, long rant, but I do think it is really important. Tony, what are your thoughts? I don't want to keep Manal on too long either because we're probably keeping you eating into your day here. But yeah. I totally agree. Like the, the more kind of platforms we can offer recovery on, the better. Like, you know, like you mentioned, like, a lot of people are finding that the podcasts are a great source of information and a great source of um, support. Um, you know, you have your your normal, your GAs, your face-to-face counseling, your group therapy, your um, residential, but now to have something um, in an app that, like, I, I, I still have to go through it. I had downloaded a couple of weeks ago when it came out first, but, I, you know, I'm going to um, really have a good look in it this evening because um, it is something that I will be referring on to people as well because, the more platforms we have, the more people we can um, reach and more people who can access support. And that's the bottom line for probably the three of us on this call is that we want to help and support as many people as we can. It's not about who does it more, who does less or who does it, whatever. It's about getting the people to support into everyone and get everyone who wants or needs the support, get get them engaged in some shape or form. And like, you know, it, it'll work and vice versa like some people who might access our service we'll be able to refer them on and, and and vice versa and sometimes we refer people to treatment so the most important thing as well as just to echo what you're saying earlier on is that we're starting to talk about it a bit more and we're starting to really talk about recovery um a lot more in them both on social media and in the media and in person so i think that's a huge part and this offers another platform for people to find that recovery I had to go a different way, but I'm, unfortunately, if I if I if these things have been around, maybe when I was well, I never really contemplated till the very end. But if they'd been around, maybe um, just maybe, and if the information had been out, maybe I might have looked for support before I hit that rock bottom place. Yeah. Sorry, Manal. No, I think um, I think you both sort of hit the nail on the head there, and um, thank you for for what you both do. And I think it's really important as well, and this is where we stand at Recover Me that collaboration in this field is so important because we can only do so much through an app, um, and we understand that. So it's really important to then be able to signpost individuals to services like yourselves where it is face-to-face you get that human interaction it's a little bit more intensive and I think going forward that's a big sort of priority of ours to look to collaborate with organizations and we've tried to incorporate that with the support tab as well just to highlight the fact that you know these organizations do great work in a field that we just don't have any experience in um, and we'd like to to signpost them to there and potentially sort of encourage them um, down that direction as well. So going forward, I think, you know, collaboration in this space is is just so important. And I think if we do that successfully, then we're able to cater to the different needs that each patient's going to have. I mean, I might not, you know, use an app as, as well or respond to an app as well as face-to-face therapy or vice versa. Face-to-face therapy might not just be for me, so I might need an app. So it's just, like you said, having those different means out there. Um, and that's why we see not just as a standalone solution. We see it as, you know, can we use it complementary to counselling that an individual has face-to-face? So if they don't have, um, you know, during the week when they're not seeing their counsellor, they have an opportunity to at least engage with something that reminds them of what they might have discussed um, or just track and monitor their habits through the diary. Or are we like an aftercare solution as well? And that's something that we're exploring at the moment. So once you've sort of come out the counselling services or, you know, sessions become a little bit more infrequent, can you engage with an app like this um, to then keep keep a track on everything? Um, and if you do lapse, you got tools there as well so I think the journey of recovery isn't just you know you start and you stop it it can be quite circular um, and we found that particularly speaking to those with lived experience so we're trying to create something that can be utilized at every point of your journey um, and in collaboration with other organizations so that's another plug if there's anyone out there <laughs> that's interested in sort of working with us going forward we're really open to to that so please get in touch 
Brilliant. Listen, thanks a million, Manal. That was really, really interesting. And look, best of luck to everybody involved and to the rest of the team. And uh, that was a great catch on uh, getting Southampton as, as a sponsor. They were actually top of the league briefly on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a moment. They were top of the league. <laughs> yeah, it's good timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and listen, people, it's Recover Me. It's on the App Store and Google Play Store. Check it out. It's the first month is free. So is, is that am I correct in thinking that? Yeah. So check it out. Take it for a test drive. Try it. Loads of cool stuff in there. Loads of stuff, like I said, that Tony and myself would use with people on a one-to-one basis. So we know that it works. And there's enough stuff in there that, you know, if you've come across one thing that doesn't resonate with you or you don't click with, there are many, many other things within the app that you can try it that you could click with. So that's great as well. Um, and now, listen, thanks so much for taking the time out to talk to us. And uh, yeah, check out the Recover Me app, everybody. All right. Thanks a million. Bye bye. Thank you for your time. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye. If you would like to support this podcast, as well as our frontline treatment, prevention, and helpline services, please consider donating €5 per month using the link in the episode description. Thank you.